the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Oh, thank God we don't get what we deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is even going above and beyond that. It's getting what we don't deserve. It's God and His, you know, grace, that acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. And so what a beautiful contrast to justice. Who wants to, I mean, God is just. But thankfully, because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, we don't, we don't have to suffer the justice of God or else we would all be destined for hell because we all deserve death and deserve punishment. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. True justice would be for mankind to be separated from God. He and His kingdom are simply too holy and righteous for us and our sinful ways. Pastor Gary teaches you today that because of God's great love for you, He's created a bridge for you to Him. In order to rid you of the judgment you deserve, He sent His Son Jesus to stand in your place. When Jesus died on the cross, He took with Him the guilt of mankind. By simply acknowledging Christ as your Savior, you'll come under His covenant and be seen pure by God the Father. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Tonight we're here in Hebrews, chapter 12. Uh, we, we looked at uh, the, the first many verses. And last uh, Wednesday, we looked at verses 14 through 17. If you weren't here last Wednesday night, the exhortation from uh, the writer of Hebrews were five things from verses 14 to 17. Seek peace, pursue holiness, get rid of bitterness, avoid sexual sin, and don't be godless. He compared it to Esau. Some of your translations say unholy or profane. We talked about those five things last week. And now we're going to pick it up here at verse 18. So in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God, 
You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So what is he talking about here? We'll unpack this a little bit. So in this passage here in Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews is referring to two different mountains, and he's using these mountains as an illustration to contrast the difference between uh, what it was like under the old covenant to live under the law and what it is now like for us under the new covenant to live under grace. And so in our Bibles, what we have as Old Testament is Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant was about uh, attaining temporary righteousness through the sacrifice of animals, trusting in God's provision for being made temporarily righteous by sacrificing an animal as an atoning sacrifice for the sinner. One animal could be sacrificed on behalf of 10 people in a family. And then once a year, the high priest on Yom Kippur would take an animal and the blood of an animal on behalf of the whole nation and sprinkle it in the inner sanctuary of the temple called the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat, which was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, to make atonement for the sins of the people. This was because God prescribed this method until such time that Jesus could be revealed, until such time that Messiah would come and die for the sins of the whole world as the permanent sacrifice that wouldn't provide temporary atonement or temporary righteousness, but would provide permanent righteousness for those who believe by faith in what Christ did for us on the cross. And thus, when Jesus dies, it ushers in a new covenant or New Testament. That's why our Bibles are now divided in those sections, and the New Testament details all of that Christ has done for us on the cross, dying for us, shedding his blood. Old Testament is Old Covenant. So the writer of Hebrews is using these two contrasts to paint the picture of how good it is to be living life under grace versus under law. And he points to these two mountains. You have Mount Sinai, which is where Moses received the Ten Commandments in Egypt. And he contrasts that with Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem, where Jesus dies on a cross for our sins. And the first section here is about Mount Zion. This section, uh, sorry, about Mount Sinai. This section here, starting in verse 18, where he says, you've not come to a mountain. He's talking about now that we're under grace. He says, you've not come to this mountain of Sinai, like in the Old Testament, that can be touched. And that is burning with fire, darkness, gloom, and and storm, to a trumpet blast, to a voice speaking words. Those who heard it beg, like, stop speaking to us. So he's describing a scene here. Now I'm going to read the scene, and you can turn if you want to, back in Exodus chapter 19. When Moses goes up Mount Sinai to receive Ten Commandments, uh, the people are at the base of the mountain, and they are observing kind of this pyrotechnic show that God is putting on display and the voice of God that sounds like a trumpet, and all of this just, uh, it's, it's very, well, it's terrifying. And, and God intentionally wants to terrify them. He wants to instill in them uh, holy fear, holy fear and holy terror. And so here in Exodus 19, I'll just read some of these verses, verses 10 through 25. 
It says, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes and be ready to buy the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. Like coast is clear when they hear that. But otherwise, he says, verse 14, after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. And then he said to the the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. And the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because... You yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And the Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. And so Moses went down to the people and told them. Uh, Jump on over to uh, chapter 20. If you're with me in Exodus 19, you can go to Exodus 20. And I'm just going to read verses 18 through 20. And it says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. It's interesting there in this last exhortation, Moses says, don't be afraid. And by the way, God's going to put his fear in you. But it's different kinds of fear. It's like, okay, there needs to be this holy reverence for God. And, and holy reverence for God, wow, did he ever display himself in this very frightening way. And for good reason. Because God wanted to rattle the people. He wanted to make them realize, don't mess with me. All right. And so they're seeing the lightning and the fire and the smoke, and they're hearing thunder, and they're hearing the voice of God like a trumpet, and it instills in them a certain awe and a certain fear, and they're trembling. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 9.19 that even Moses trembled with fear himself. So here they are terrified. Now go back to Hebrews here in chapter 12, because the writer of Hebrews is saying, remember that from the Old Testament? Remember how God appeared and the people were afraid and he gave his law? Because now that writer of Hebrews is going to say, thank God we come to a different mountain. That mountain of terror, that mountain of fear, that mountain that motivated people not to sin was based on external factors. External factors being lightning and fire and smoke and 
trumpet sounds, okay? But how effective was that? And the answer I'm about to give is no reflection on God, it's a reflection on the people. It wasn't effective because by the time you get to Exodus chapter 32, they're worshiping idols and they're putting their gold into a furnace and Aaron, the priest, is fashioning them into two idols and they're worshiping idols all over again. So the fear didn't last very long. And that's the point. External motivation of fear does not have the longevity or the impact in motivating us to live a godly life like a transformed heart from the inside. External motivation is never as effective as internal transformation. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, now we've come to a different mountain. We've come to Mount Zion, which is where Jesus died on a cross in Jerusalem. So back here in Hebrews 12, now in verse 22, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Now he's going to paint the picture of, yes, there's an earthly Mount Zion. We go today to Jerusalem, there's Mount Zion's still there. And on Mount Zion, Jesus dies on a cross. But the writer of Hebrews is going to say, this wasn't just a, a single moment of time in history. This is also a picture of what Christ has accomplished for us in the heavenly realms with eternal significance. And so that's why he says, you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. It's, it's as if he's pulling back the curtain of heaven. He's saying, now listen, this is the beautiful picture of a very different mountain. This is not one filled with terror. This is not one, you know, filled with, with uh, smoke. This, this is one filled with joy and the presence of angels. And also, verse 23, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. By the way, there is a record. The book of life is mentioned six times in the book of Revelation. Names that are written of believers, people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. There's a record. I hope your name is written in that book. And your name can be easily written in that book. And it's not, by the way, like, like Santa Claus list, you know, naughty and nice. Okay, everybody's naughty. Nobody's nice. That's why Jesus dies on a cross, to make the naughty righteous. And so once you put your faith and trust in Christ, your name goes in the book of life. And so this is what he's referring to. He's like, you pull back the, the veil of heaven and you see angels joyfully rejoicing. You see the church, meaning saints who have gone on before us, the firstborn. No, notice, God has no grandchildren. God only has firstborn. He only has kids who are born again into his family. There are no grandchildren with God. He has firstborn kids. We're all firstborn among, among those whose names are written in heaven. And you have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men, made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, that's a reference to the book of Genesis, where many of us are familiar. Cain, one of the sons of Adam and Eve, kills Abel, another son of Adam and Eve. First murder in the Bible. And what did the blood of Abel speak? Because in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, God said to Cain, after Cain had murdered his brother, what have you done? He said, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It's it's a metaphorical thing. What was the blood of Abel crying out for? Justice. So the writer of Hebrews is saying here, you've come to a better mountain, better than what the blood of Abel cried for. 
Because justice is what the law prescribes. But Mount Zion, where Jesus died, oh, now it's grace. Oh, thank God we don't get what we deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is even going above and beyond that. It's getting what we don't deserve. It's God and his, you know, grace, that acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. And so what a beautiful contrast to justice. Who wants to, I mean, God is just. But thankfully, because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, we don't, we don't have to suffer the justice of God or else we would all be destined for hell because we all deserve death and deserve punishment. So let me just show you on the screen here some quick contrasts of what we just read there. Mount Sinai was marked by fear and terror. Mount Zion is a place of love and forgiveness. Mount Sinai pointed to earthly things. Mount Zion pointed to heavenly things. You won't be able to write this fast enough, friends. You can go back on the teaching library and pause me. At Mount Sinai, only Moses was allowed to draw near to God. At Mount Zion, a vast number of angels and a multitude of believers are invited to draw near. At Mount Sinai, Moses was the mediator. At Mount Zion, Jesus is the mediator. Mount Sinai was about the blood of justice. Mount Zion was about the blood of mercy. Mount Sinai brought an old covenant ratified by the blood of animals. Mount Zion brought a new covenant ratified by the blood of Jesus. Mount Sinai is all about the law. Mount Zion is all about that grace. It's about that grace, about that grace. Mm -hmm. It's all about that grace. I'm hip. That's all right. I haven't lost it yet. I know what you listen to. All right. Anyway, this is the beauty of the contrast here of these two mountains. So let's read on here because now great privilege has great responsibility and great, a great warning here that follows. Look at verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? In other words, he's like, okay, we come to a better mountain, but you know what happened to them who came to a lesser mountain? You know, they they were judged. We have a, a, a responsibility to live out our faith in a way that honors God and how we recognize that we have this great privilege of living under his grace, and so we need to honor him. He says in verse 26, at that time, meaning Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. I mean, judgment is going to come. We don't want to be on the receiving end of God's judgment. And in Christ, we don't have to be on the receiving end of his judgment because in Christ, we've been judged already through his son on the cross. Therefore, there's now no condemnation, is what Paul writes in Romans, right? To them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Verse 27, the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In other words, just because we're living under grace doesn't mean that we should have less respect for God or somehow think we can just get away with things. We should still live our lives in such reverential awe and a holy fear of who he is and appreciate and be thankful that we don't get what we deserve, that we live under grace. Chapter 13. In chapter 13, um, I've underlined in my Bibles, and I'm going to point it out to you, 11 short little exhortations that he gives the writer of Hebrews in the closing chapter here. And so let me read verses 1 
through 3, and then I'll show you the first few. So in verse 1, he says, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So we get into a list here of exhortations from this 13th chapter. And in these verses that I just read, he mentions three in particular. And these three are, we need to keep loving one another and uh, don't forget to entertain strangers slash angels and remember those in prison. So let me just comment briefly on these three, and then we'll look at, at uh, the following exhortations. Uh, keep on loving each other. There are different words in the Greek. Many of you know for the word love. We have one in the English language, uh, but in Greek, there are four different words uh, that are defined as love. And the word that's used here is phileo. It's brotherly love. And this is what he's saying. Show yourself friendly. You know, love people with a brotherly love, with a sisterly kind of love. It's just a simple, straightforward exhortation. What needs to be more said about it? Keep on loving each other as brothers, as sisters. Care for each other. Love each other. Verse 2, then, the second one there is, don't forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. And so the emphasis there is on hospitality. He's basically saying the word entertain means to be hospitable, because you never know who you're being hospitable to. When you think of a stranger, you know, don't ignore them just because you don't know them. Be hospitable to them. Because, he says, it just might possibly be that the person you think is just some stranger could, in fact, be an angel. Now, this brings out new information. For those of you who may not understand how angels operate, it is possible, although I think perhaps somewhat rare, but but certainly very possible, that some people you encounter who you think are just physical people, may in fact be angels who have taken on physical appearance. This is what the Bible teaches. Now, look at the person next to you. You can tell they're not one. I know. They're not one. All right, because you know them. And so you're like, you're no angel because you know them. But if you were to encounter a stranger and you don't know them that well, you don't know So it's like, you better be nice to all people because you don't know one of them might be an angel. And this is is one of these things that is fascinating about angels. Now, a few quick points about angels. They're somewhat mystical, but they are not mythical. They are real. They are mentioned more than 300 times in the Bible. Sometimes they are messengers. Sometimes they appear in Scripture as warriors. Most worship God, but some don't. Those who didn't rebelled against God, they're known today as demons, fallen angels. Sometimes they have appeared to people in splendor, and sometimes as just a regular-looking person. The word angel comes from the Greek word angelos, which means messenger. We have a city named, you know, the city of angels, Los Angelos. It just means messenger. Angels are ministering spirits. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. The book of Hebrews began by talking about angels as ministering spirits sent to attend the saints. We have a mention of guardian angels. Jesus mentions in Matthew 18, 10, see that you do not look down on one of these little children. He's talking about the children. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. It seems that there are angels on assignment to us. And I want to just always say this in discussion about angels. We are not to worship them or venerate them or idolize them. But we can 
we can thank God for them, that He dispatches them on our behalf. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Hebrews again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary's Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so you're able to keep up to date with every new program we post as soon as we make it available. You can even download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go, in every circumstance you find yourself in. All this is found at our website. Again, that address is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd love to know how God is leading you and changing your heart. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners and we feel honored to be able to pray for your requests. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. We'd be happy to do our best to answer your questions and tell you more about this ministry, along with the church it stems from, Cornerstone Chapel. So don't hesitate to call. That number again is 703-771-1500. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know